Hello everyone and welcome to Refinery Life Australia. I'm Gary Hoban and I'm the Senior Pastor and Lead Elder of Refinery Life Church on the beautiful Gold Coast. If you're on the Gold Coast at any time, feel free to come and join us as we meet together and we share in the Word of our Lord. We meet at 9.30 on Sundays at 222 Turpin Road, Labrador. And more details are available on our website which is www.refinerylife.org. And this week we're continuing our series titled Personal Portraits of Peter. These messages will contain lessons that can help each and every one of us every single day. And today we're talking about Peter in the upper room. The text we're concentrating on is John 13, 16, 17. It says, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed, you are happy and favoured by God, if you put them into practice and faithfully do them. And the scripture reading which we'll work through is John 13, 1-17. Jesus and the disciples had come to the upper room, which is probably in the home of Mark's mother, where Jesus would eat the Passover meal with his disciples and ordain the Lord's Supper, which is the new Passover. It was a Thursday after sunset, which was the beginning of the Jewish Friday. And before the night was over, Jesus would be betrayed. And on the next day, he'd be crucified. On the previous Tuesday night, Judas, stung by the rebuke of Jesus at the feast in the home of Simon the leper, which you can read about in John 12, 2-8, had bargained with the rulers to betray Jesus. And you can read that in Matthew 26, 14-16, Mark 14, 10 and 11, and Luke 22, 3 to 6. And Jesus was aware of Judas's treachery, but the disciples were not. Jesus arranged for the large upper room and sent Peter and John to make ready the Passover. That's Luke 22, 7 to 13. And this may have been done secretly so that Judas would not suspect that his treachery was known. The state of mind of the disciples and Jesus is important here. The contention had continued among the disciples as to which of them would be counted the greatest. Remember Luke 22, 24? This had started a few months earlier on the way from Caesarea Philippi to Capernaum. They had not learned the lesson that Jesus had tried to teach them by setting a child on his midst, sorry, in their midst, as an abject lesson of humility. Nor had they heeded Jesus' words to James and John, who on the way to Jerusalem had requested the first places in the kingdom. Remember Matthew 20, 20-28, and Mark 10, 35-45? And the disciples continued to think of the kingdom as political. That's what they knew. And Jesus' state of mind con- contradicted with that of the disciples. Look at John 13.1, talks of the Lord's Supper. It says, Now before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that his hour had come, and it was time for him to leave this world and return to the Father, having greatly loved his own who were in the world. He loved them and continuously loves them with his perfect love to the end, eternally. Jesus was aware that his death was at hand, and his love for the disciples was intensified. Luke 22, 
14 to 16, there's another picture of the Lord's Supper. It says, when the hour for the meal had come, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have earnestly wanted to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Jesus was not a baby prince who does not know that he is destined to rule. He was fully aware of his deity and of his mission to die for the sins of humankind. And then Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And according to the custom of the day, the host would provide a basin of water for the washing of guests' feet. You know, people travelled barefoot or in sandals, and they needed to wash the dust off from their journey. The roads they were walking on would have been covered in all sorts of animal droppings and, and filth, so their feet needed to be cleaned when they, when they got somewhere and when they were ready to eat. And a servant would normally do this service if the host did not do it himself. And interesting, none of the disciples, the disciples volunteered. They had all apparently taken their places reclining on couches, which was the custom around the table. So they're all kicking back. No one had volunteered to actually provide the basin. And John 13, 2-5 says, It was during supper when the devil had already put the thought of betraying Jesus into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, that Jesus, knowing that the Father had put everything into his hands and that he had come from God and was now returning to God, got up from supper, took off his outer robe, and taking a servant's towel, he tied it around his waist. And then Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Verse 5 says, Then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel, which was tied around his waist. This was an act, was a characteristic example of the Master's spirit. It was an acted parable, an object lesson of humility. And he rebuked the attitude of the disciples. Look at John 13, 6-7. So when he came to Simon Peter, he said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied to him, you do not realize now what I am doing, but you will fully understand it later. Peter felt that it wasn't right for the master to wash the disciples' feet and said to Jesus in John 13, 8-11, you will never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. We can have nothing to do with each other. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, in that case, wash not only my feet, but also my hands and head. And Jesus said to him, anyone who is bathed needs only to wash his feet and is completely clean. And you, my disciples, are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. For that reason, he said, not all of you are clean. Jesus indicated that there was a hidden meaning here. It seems to be this, one who had bathed did not need to bathe again. He needed only to wash off the dirt from his feet. One who is saved does not need to be saved all over again. He needs only the daily cleansing from the sins of his daily walk. They had all been bathed, they had all been saved except for Judas. Now we see this continually in churches where the same people will get up for salvation every week. Now, there's a couple of questions that need to be answered then. Why 
Are they getting up every week? Are they doing it because they think that's what they need or are they not truly getting saved? And why aren't the ministers and the elders within the church where this is happening not pulling them aside and discipling them, getting them to understand what they're doing? All of these disciples had been saved except for Judas. And Peter would be an example of this. He was a saved person. But before the night was over, he would deny his Lord. He would not need to be saved again, but he would need to confess and get forgiveness or have his feet washed, which he would do. So what was the significance of Jesus' action here? John 3, sorry, John 13, 12 says, So when he had washed their feet and put on his outer robe and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? This was an example. True humility does not disparage one's powers. Jesus is Master and Lord. And it's false humility that does not acknowledge that we are a person made in God's image and are of infinite worth. What some people call humility is just poor posture. The spirit of Jesus in stooping to serve is true humility. The mind of Christ is portrayed in Philippians 2, 5-11 and Mark 10.45. I recommend that you go and read those verses. Jesus came from heaven's glory as the incarnate Son of God. He humbled himself to death on that cross. This was necessary for our salvation. We cannot do what he did. And we need not do what he did. But in the same spirit, we can serve others. In Jesus' picture of the last judgment, he indicated that the way his disciples serve him is to serve others in his name. Have a look at Matthew 25, 40. It says, The king will answer and say to them, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, to the extent that you did it for one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it for me. Jesus commanded in John 13, 14 to 15. So if I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet as well. For I gave you this as an example so that you should do it in turn as I did to you. Some people think that these words Jesus is commanding another ordinance in addition to baptism and the Lord's Supper to be perpetually observed. And there's no evidence that this is the true and that the disciples understood it that way. He, Jesus wasn't saying that we had to wash each other's feet every time we eat. It was a custom in the day. But we are to serve others like he served. Most Christians understand Jesus to command needful service to others on the basis of his example. You know, happiness comes from Jesus' example. Look at John thirteen seventeen. If you know these things, you are blessed, happy and favoured by God, if you put them into practice and faithfully do them. Jesus was happy. For the joy of being the Saviour, Jesus endured the cross. He fulfilled the words of Isaiah fifty three eleven about the Messiah. It says, As a result of the anguish of his soul, he shall see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge of what he has accomplished, 
the righteous one, my servant shall justify the many, making them righteous, upright before God, in right standing with him. For he shall bear the responsibility for their sins. The happiest Christians, here's your challenge for the day. The happiest Christians are those that are serving others in the name of Jesus. Why don't you try it? And I want to encourage you to be diligent with your Bible study time because God has so much more for us that we can just get from going to church once or twice a week and hearing someone else talk about the Word. When you spend time with God, your life will change in amazing ways because God is a Redeemer. There's nothing that's too hard for Him and He can make you whole, spirit, soul and body if you will allow Him to. You're important to God, you know that already, but you're also important to us at the refinery. So when it comes to prayer... We believe that God wants to meet your needs and reveal his promises directly to you. So whatever you're concerned about and whatever you need prayer for, even if you just want to chat to someone, you can contact us on www.refinerylife.org or via any of our social media channels. And until next time, stay in the blessings.